Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. The reading for this morning comes from the book of Romans, chapter 12. I'll be reading in Spanish, and the English translation will be on the screen. Por lo tanto, hermanos, tomando en cuenta la misericordia de Dios, les ruego que cada uno de ustedes, en adoración espiritual, ofrezca su cuerpo como sacrificio vivo, santo y agradable a Dios. No se amoldan al, al mundo actual, sino sean transformados mediante la renovación de su mente. Así podrán comprobar cuál es la voluntad de Dios, buena, agradable y perfecta. Por la gracia que se me ha dado, les digo a todos ustedes, nadie tenga un concepto de sí más alto que el que debe tener, sino más bien piense de sí mismo con moderación, según la medida de fe que Dios le haya dado. Pues así como cada uno de nosotros tiene un solo cuerpo con muchos miembros, y no todos estos miembros desempeñan la misma función, también nosotros, siendo muchos, formamos un solo cuerpo en Cristo, y cada miembro está unido a todos los demás. Tenemos dones diferentes según la gracia que se nos ha, se nos ha dado. Si el don de alguien es el de profecía, que lo use en proporción con su fe. Si es el de prestar un servicio, que lo preste. Si es el de enseñar, que enseñe. Si es el de animar a otros, que los anime. Si es el de socorrer a los necesitados, que dé con generosidad. Si es el de dirigir, que dirija con esmero. Si es el de mostrar compasión, que lo haga con alegría. El amor debe ser sincero. Aborrezcan al mal, aférrense al bien. Ámense los unos a los otros con amor fraternal, respetándose y honrándose mutuamente. Nunca dejen de ser diligentes. Antes bien, sirvan al Señor con el fervor que da el Espíritu. Alégrense en la esperanza, muestren paciencia en el sufrimiento, perseveren en la oración. Ayudan a los hermanos necesitados. Practiquen la hospitalidad. Bendigan a, a quienes los persigan. Bendigan y no maldigan. Alégrense con los que están alegres y lloran con los que lloran. Vivan en armonía con los unos con los otros. No sean arrogantes, sino háganse solidarios con los humildes. No se crean los únicos que saben. No paguen a nadie mal por mal. Procuren hacer lo bueno delante de todos. Si es posible y en cuanto depende de ustedes, vivan en paz con todos. No tomen venganza, hermanos míos, sino dejen el castigo en las manos de Dios, porque está escrito, Mía es la venganza, yo pagaré, dice el Señor. Antes bien, si tu enemigo tiene hambre, dale de comer. Si tiene sed, dale de beber. Actuando así, harás que se avergüence de su conducta. No te dejes vencer por el mal. Al contrario, vence el mal con el bien. This is God's word. Please be seated. Well, good morning, church. If you are visiting both in person or tuning in at home, my name is Brian. I'm the pastor here at Trinity City Church. We are in the uh, last sermon for a sermon series called Belong. 
It's a sermon series that has been focusing again on our mission as a church, and uh, it's given us a couple opportunities. One opportunity is to reshoot some videos that we use for our membership process, and also for those of us that have been committed to Trinity for quite some time, it gives us a sense of this is what this church is all about. It's a good reminder to uh, think yet again about what God is calling us to do in this specific context. Uh, and especially as we've kind of been in the season of being a part in these pods and haven't experienced church quite like we did a year plus ago, I think it's a good reminder of what God is calling us to do. So we wrap up that ser- or this sermon series right uh, in this sermon. Uh, this will be the last of three. Next week, I get the joy of uh, introducing you to a church planner named Josh Williams. I think we have a picture of his family up here. Uh, That's Josh Williams. He's planting a church in West St. Paul through one of our uh, partner ministries, the Acts 29 Network, and we get the joy of uh, inviting him here to preach God's word uh, with us and to us this next uh, Sunday. So mark that and make sure that you come back to hear uh, Josh bring us the word and to hear a little bit about the vision to plant churches in uh, West St. Paul. And if you're not familiar, by the way, with... um, that community, it's kind of confusing, especially if you're new to the Twin Cities, because West St. Paul is east of downtown, but it's west of part of the Mississippi, even though it's east to another part of it, it's confusing. But uh, if you, I was gonna say, if you, if you live here long enough, it kind of makes sense, but it actually doesn't, you just kind of go with it, okay? Um, it kind of makes sense, but not really, but that's just the way it is. So that's West St. Paul, Josh Williams is planting a church there. Uh, and it's just going to be, I hope you're encouraged too, because sometimes it's hard to know, like during this weird season, like what is, what is God doing? Is, is the church doing all right? And this is uh, uh, one of the testimonies, I would say, that God's church is still growing and that even a pandemic cannot contain uh, God's church from multiplying. After that week, uh, we are going to go back to a book of the Bible, which is something we often do at Trinity. We go back and forth between the New and Old Testament. We just did the letters of John. Now we're going to go back to the Old Testament, and we're going to do a short five-week sermon series on the book of Ruth. So that will be what's coming up next. Let's go ahead and pray and get into the message. Lord, help us right now to be focused on your glory and focused on your mission and focused on these things in which you've called this community to belong to. There's so many things throughout the week that are pulling our attention, that are making us anxious, that are picking at our relationships and picking at our affections even towards you. But right now we pause, Lord, and recognize that we need you. We need your presence. We need your word. We need your grace. And we want to take this moment to acknowledge we need all of that. And Lord, we ask by your Holy Spirit that you would provide. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Obviously, as a pastor, I think a lot about the health of our congregation. And if someone were to pose this question to me, what has been the biggest concern uh, that you've had as a pastor over the past year? This is what one of my answers would be, probably at the top of the list. And one of my biggest concerns over the last year plus is that our habits are out of whack and that we're in a stage right now as a church where it's not particularly healthy because 
our habits, our practices as a Christian community are off. And it's not just exclusive to the area of church that this is happening in your life. You had years and years and years of daily routine and habits that you established before last March hit that threw everything off, right? Whether it was your commute or what, the, what your day looked like at work, your habits at college or school, like you, you had a somewhat predictable schedule and then massive curveball came and it took, it took probably months and months and months to probably figure out the new habits of your life, but even that is kind of odd, isn't it? Because you never know when, are my, when is my daily routine going to change? When is my practices going to change? And there's been a longing, if you're like me, for things to return to normal. And especially when it comes to our spiritual life, I think we all have recognized that what we had before nourished us and was good. And right now, as a church, we are doing the best we can to continue to establish some Christian habits in our life, but it's not like it used to be. It was like going from the steak dinner we had before, and now we're enjoying some type of TV dinner. It's okay, and it's getting us through, but there's this longing to go back to the feast. There's this longing for potlucks and service in our neighborhood with people and and for corporate worship where we have communion in the front and you all come down these things that we uh, were able to enjoy as a church and now it's gone and one of the things I think about as a pastor is we've we've established and you've heard sermons like this here before that one of the primary ways we make disciples is by forming our hearts by worship of the Lord because practices and habits are the most formative things on our hearts. I've done a whole sermon series on habits and practices because your habits and practices both reveal where your heart is at and also form your heart. Both things are happening in your daily routines and habits and practices. And so when you ask me, when I get asked that question, and, and that's my answer, one of the things I think about all the time is we had 10 years of ministry, right, where we established a structure, a trellis for the gospel vine to grow on, and now that whole thing was pushed to the side, and we had to grow something else that just wasn't quite the same, and so now we used to have uh, regular routines where you guys would get together with brothers and sisters in Christ in groups and uh, Bible studies and regular service of our, our neighborhood and our, and our city and regular weekly routines of worship and taking communion and having meals together. And now most of that is gone. And a lot of us have experienced mainly church, maybe even digitally for the last year plus and when those things have went away, it's not like uh, your life goes neutral, but when worship habits have left your daily and weekly routine, it creates a vacuum that's filled with other things that now have an impact on forming your heart and revealing where your heart is at. Romans 12, 1 through 2, that was read today, says this, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The main 
command there is offer your bodies, offer your entire life as a holy sacrifice to God, that all of life would be worship. And then he goes into detail in the rest of the chapter of what this looks like, and he gets into like regular, routine, ordinary Christian habits. He'll unpack things like humble service in the lo- local church by using the gifts God gives you. To be love and uh, to love and to be devoted to your brothers and sisters in Christ, to be joyful, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, to share with those in need, to practice hospitality, to bless those who persecute persecute you, and do not repay anyone evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. These are regular, ordinary Christian callings and habits. That, that start to unfold and embody this main command to offer your entire life as a living sacrifice in worship to God. And one of my hopes over the last uh, decade of, of working with you all to establish this church is to uh, establish this culture here that cultivates that. And this message is mainly going to be about how we express that in our mission statement to look at our five practices that we focus on as a church, and then how do we unpack that in a greater vision. So let's first start with a mission statement. Last sermon, I mentioned the mission statement and then unpacked more the theology that's behind our mission statement. Here's the mission statement. To glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ who join in the renewal of our city and world through the power of the Holy Spirit. As I mentioned before, this statement is intentionally Trinitarian. We're Christians that believe in the Holy Trinity. The ultimate end of everything we do is the glory of God, and the only way we can do it is through the power of the Holy Spirit. But the key phrases here that I want to unpack for our purposes is the phrase, make disciples and join in the renewal of our city and world. Make disciples comes from Matthew 28, 18 through 20, when Jesus said to them, all authority... In heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I command you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Make disciples is what Jesus, resurrected from the dead, commands his disciples and his church to do. And you do that, Jesus says, by going, baptizing, and teaching. You go into the world, you baptize new converts in Christ, and then you teach them everything that Jesus commands us to do. And one of the things that Jesus is calling his people to do is to join in his restoration project of your life, of your family, of your neighborhood, and of your world. Because this is where history is heading. Revelation 21, 3 through 6. This is what you're asked to join. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, For the old things, the old order of things, have passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost 
from the spring of the water of life. That's where history is going, and that's where we as a church and the global church are asked to participate in as we make disciples who join in this renewing work where people are converted and their dead faith is risen from the dead and their character is transformed, and then in fact the, the environment around us in our homes, in our neighborhood, in our communities, in our city, and in the globe is made new. And its, it's, it's trajectory is to go to a, an existence, a, a, a place where there's no more death or mourning or crying anymore. That's what we're asked to join. Now, how do we do that? And we do that through practices. As we as a church, we emphasize five Christian practices that form habits in our life that help, help us to be a people that embody this and express this to the world. Now, one of the things that we... Uh, have done throughout the, the history of Trinity when we established these five, and they've been expressed different ways. They've been expressed as identity and actions and other practices. But when we chose these five, it, was, uh, it wasn't our idea. There was a collective of, of pastors that uh, came up at, with these three or these five things as, as essentially embodying what Christian mission should be and why, why we like them, why our church leaders have liked them over the years is that they're not surprising. Love that about it. One of the ways I've illustrated this in the past is there's this bit by comedian Chris Rock where he uh, starts roasting people for bragging about things that they shouldn't brag about. So he'll talk about like he'll meet a dad and a dad will be like, you know what? I'm a good dad. I'm, I take care of my kids and I'm present. And he says, well, that's what you're supposed to do. That's what the calling of a dad is, is to be present and to be there for his kids. Like, congratulations for reaching the bare minimum of what you're supposed to be doing. Or you meet a college student, and they'd be like, I'm a good college student. I study at school. Well, what's the vocation of a college student if it didn't include studying for your degree? That's, that's, you shouldn't brag about things you're supposed to be doing. And in this list, this is not a bragging of these are practices that our church does. These are practices that just Christians do. This isn't about bragging about, about us as a church or these are things that make our church stand out. These are just practices. When you look at church history, this is, these, these are the, just the things that Christians do and practice, and these are the habits that Christians have. So what are they? Uh, number one, and I'm very excited if you haven't seen these before, um, our, our, our former artist in residence, uh, Tyson, developed uh, some graphics and some icons for each one of these practices, and now they just look amazing. I love these things. Uh, he's right over there. Uh, please, please uh, just uh, uh, express your gratitude for this gift set that, that, that's serving us so well. First practice, worship. We glorify and enjoy God in every area of life. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. All of life is worship. Many times when we think about worship, and rightfully so, we think about this experience of corporate worship, the Sunday gathering with songs and prayer and scripture and preaching and the Lord's Supper. We might even think about groups and home church or, or houses that are meeting for Bible study and community groups or learning groups. You may even think about your personal life or your household 
where you participate in maybe daily or regular times of prayer around the dinner table or times of doing uh, catechism with your kids. These are all things that might come to mind when you think of the word worship. And you should, because these are distinctive acts of worship. You know that you're worshiping. You know this space right here is set aside for the purpose of focusing on the Lord and receiving his grace through faith. But one of the things that, that I love about distinctive worship, when you're aware that it's happening, is when you cultivate regular habits of worship, weekly and daily habits of worship, it produces instinctive worship. When you're aware that you're worshiping and you commit to anchoring your life daily with worship, it produces in your soul instinctive worship. And what I mean by that is that you're worshiping and glorifying God, even though you might not be actively aware that you're doing so. One of the ways I like to illustrate this is this is how uh, songs that get in your head function. You ever wake up in the morning and you listen to a song and it's in your head the rest of the day and you might be around family, you might be around a coworker, you're in a Zoom call and all of a sudden you're humming this song and you're not even aware that you're doing it. Maybe somebody has to tell you that you are. Uh, if that's never happened to you before, by the way, you should listen to Taylor Swift because she will do this to you. She will get in your head. They, they'll, those poppy riffs that she writes will just get embodied in your head and you're not going to be able to get it out. And uh, since this is a safe place, I'll let you know I like Taylor Swift. I know that's not a really, my, my brother in Christ, Josiah, does not. Uh, but that's what, what Christian unity is all about, right? I think she's good. She gets in my head, and, and, it's, and, and I'm okay with that. But that's, that's how distinctive and instinctive worship works. At some point, you listen to the gospel song. You make a habit of doing that and focusing on it. But then instinctively the goal is that the song of the gospel would be stuck in your head and in your soul throughout the rest of your day. Our practice of worship is an important practice as a church. We also practice Christian witness. We proclaim the gospel through our words and our actions. Luke 24, Jesus told his disciples, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And all that means is that you have seen Jesus at work. You have seen the gospel of Jesus Christ with your own eyes. You know the good news. You know that all things are going to be made new. Now your job is just to go and tell people what you saw. And that's our calling as a church too. Jesus has come into your life in a tangible way and has given you faith and has given you a mission. And he wants us to witness, to bear witness to that reality to our family and to our neighbors and to our city and to the ends of the earth. We do that with both deed and word. 1 Peter chapter 3. But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ 
may be ashamed of their slander. If you read the broader context of those verses, it's all about Christian conduct and character and living a holy life so that it testifies to what the power of the gospel looks like. But here he details that there comes a moment that someone might ask you, like, why are you different? Why do you not only think about the world differently, but why does your life just look so different in its details? And in that moment, you witness. You talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in that moment, you just do it with gentleness and respect. Sometimes I think we put so much pressure on ourselves to get the words just right. Or that we so fear what others will think of us if they know how sold out we are to the gospel. But in that moment, just let the Spirit do its work and authentically just share. You, you, you attend church and the mission of God. You, you participate in these things. You've been saved by a power that raises the dead. Just open your mouth. And with respect and gentleness, just share it. And let God do his work. That's what it means to be a Christian witness. Practice number three, fellowship. We foster a countercultural community as a family of believers. I want to read the rest of those verses from Romans 12 when it says, present your entire life as a living sacrifice, as an act of worship to God. And then he describes a countercultural community. He says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, those members do not all have the same function. So in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts, According to the grace given to each of us, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another, honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep yourself, your, keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, and practice hospitality. That is a countercultural community that's been gripped by the gospel and is called to be a part of the family of believers. If Christ and his mission is the unifying principle of a church and the unifying purpose of a church, then you will have fellowship even when there's great tension and diversity in other areas. But if a community is built around anything else, let's say a shared interest, then you don't have fellowship, you have a club. And right now I think many Christians are tempted to want to have a club rather than fellowship. Because right now in this season, I think our fellowship is being tested. And you know it's being tested because in the grand scheme of the eternal calling of God and to glorify him and to raise people from the dead, that's the great calling. There's great stress right now on your relationships 
when you look at these, and what, when you look at what's stressing your relationships from that eternal perspective, it's trivial. It shouldn't break fellowship. Our opinions about COVID policies should not break fellowship. Who you vote for, if it's different than your brother and sister in Christ, should not break fellowship. Opinions about whether or not to wear masks in a setting should not break Christian fellowship. But we're in a season where those trivial things are threatening fellowship. And what does that say about the power of the gospel in the Christian's life? I'm preaching this to me as well because I long for us to take the diversity of all those opinions and thoughts to the cross with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, debate them, lean into them, but men, if they are threatening close personal relationships that you have with your family, of brothers and sisters, you better take that to the Lord and ask, why? Why is that? Why is that the thing that's threatening our Christian unity? I want us to yet again practice and remind ourselves that this is a church with diverse opinions and perspectives on many things, but we are united around the one who died and rose again and calls us to put others ahead of ourselves, to think humbly about ourselves. You're not that big a deal. Did you get that verse out of Romans 12? You are not that big a deal. You're probably wrong about your opinions on this anyways, and maybe I am too. Chill out and come back to the cross together in strong fellowship that brings us together because the power of him who raised Jesus from the dead is with us. Practice number four, service. Service. We pursue justice and mercy both locally and globally. Micah 6, 8 says, God has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. One of the ways that the New Testament expresses how we should do this is in Galatians 6.10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. That's kind of overwhelming, right? Everybody you see, if they have need, if you have an opportunity to do good, everybody. But you read that, and you're like, wow, there's a lot of needs out there. But then it specifies, especially to those belong to the family of believers. Start with those who have need in your family and keep working out into the world and your neighborhood and others that are in your life. We are in a situation right now where there's a lot of heat around the issue of justice and mercy. I remember preaching a sermon series a while back on the book of Amos, and especially if you're tuning in as a potential future member, I would encourage you to listen to that if you want to understand a little bit more of uh, where our church and, and the church history is at in terms of understanding justice and mercy. But maybe for this time, I want to boil it down to this. I long in this situation, this moment that we find ourselves in, to start to embody the messages that we are giving on social media or in the yard signs that we put in our front yard. Because right now, I think the type of justice and mercy that we're pursuing is mainly in word and not in a lot of action. And right now, I long for a church that starts to lean in 
to practical and tangible pursuits of justice and mercy with people that are in your, on your radar right now that just need something practical that God has given you that you can supply, an extra room for somebody to sleep in, extra funds to give to a food shelf, whatever it is, you have a gift, you have resources, and somebody, maybe right now you're thinking of that person in your head, that this person could use a gift, a resource that God has given me, and I need to give it away in hospitality or service, I long for that to happen. I think we're talking a lot about justice right now. We have opinions that we're sharing about how we even view justice. I think right now we need to lean back into tangible and practical and ordinary displays of serving one another with humility and grace. Those tangible expressions of service are regular practices that we are called to as a church. Fifth and finally, stewardship. We seek the common good through our vocations. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, that any task, any vocation that God has given you, you're to do it and serve the Lord with all your heart in that vocation. Vocation just means calling. You can think of your job, but it's not, it doesn't have to be just something that you're paid for. It's any type of calling. It could be volunteering. It could be parenting. It could be the vocation of friendship with people in your life. All these things are vocations that you have, that you are called to steward for the common good. Uh, one of the ways you can picture it is if you go back to Genesis 1, there's a calling on our life to cultivate, to to take God's created order and to make, make it flourish for the common good of others. And one of the ways it, it, it shows that picture to you is through a garden, that you take this material of God's created order and you want to bring life and flourishing and beauty out of it. But it doesn't have to be just the vocation of literal gardening that you have this picture with. It's any picture. It's the gardening of parenting. It's the gardening of, of those of you that are called in the medical industry. It's the, it's the gardening of, 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 of marketing, whatever it could be, any vocation, any calling that you have this, this space that you are tasked of taking care of and you seek to allow it to flourish for the common good of others. One of the most significant ways that you, brothers and sisters, love your neighbors as yourself each and every week is through your vocation. It's the job, it's the calling that you have that you commit most of your time to, and that is what you are to steward as a garden and to see that it flourishes for the benefit of others. That's the practice of stewardship. Now, when we put all these things together, worship, witness, fellowship, service and stewardship. What is that working toward? What are we trying to achieve? And this is the vision. We have a vision as a church to make the gospel walkable by multiplying Christian communities and churches in every neighborhood of our city. That's what it would look like. A community and other communities and other local churches, not just our own, that participate in regular, ordinary Christian practices what we want to see happen is that more disciples come to Jesus, more churches are planted, more churches are revived, and more ministries increase to serve our city and world. That phrase, walk 
walkable, making the gospel walkable. It's a phrase that's really important in city living, right? One of the reasons that many people live in the city is they like the walkability of a city. Maybe if you've ever looked at a place to rent or looked at a place to buy, you go to Zillow. And if you scroll down a little bit on Zillow, it has the walkability score, right? How many coffee houses and grocery stores and establishment that you can just ditch the car and you can walk to those things. And one of the visions that we've had early on as a church is that we want our city to be so saturated with Christian community and presence that there's a ministry, a local church, a Bible study, a place to serve the needs of our city within walking distance of every single household and home in this city. And one of the ways that we need to do that is it can't just be our church participating in it, and we can't just plant churches just like ours to reach our city, because the city is diverse and different. One of the phrases I've loved to hear about how uh, St. Paul, but a little bit Minneapolis is described this way too, is that St. Paul isn't just a city, it's a bunch of small towns with one mayor. Because if you think about the neighborhoods of St. Paul, they're all so different from one another. There's some that are similar, but they're all unique. Unique communities with neat, unique groups that are living there with unique uh, places of business and restaurants. It's all amazing and beautiful in its diversity. And whether in Minneapolis or St. Paul, that's the way a city functions. It's not just one big predictable whole. It's a bunch of little small communities, small towns, that just to happen to have one mayor. So we want more churches, and we want to partner with multiple denominations and networks to increase Christian presence in our city so each one of these unique communities has a gospel expression that's walkable from each and every household. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, if you've been paying attention to some of this stuff, that haven't we been doing that? In fact, over the last two decades, uh, there's been more churches planted in uh, the Twin Cities metro area than in at any other time in the history of this city. In the history, it's exponential how many churches have been started in the last 20 years. But attendance has dropped in our city in terms of churches. And we still have several hundreds to thousands, depending on what community you're measuring, of churches that are needed just to make the gospel walkable, just to have enough Christian community to provide a Christian presence for the population of our city. So what happened if we had so much gospel growth and church planting, why are we in this position? And a couple reasons why is churches are also dying. As we plant churches, others do not survive and they close their doors. But in addition to that, the Twin Cities metro area is growing. And with the population growth being what it is, the, the, the pace that we are planting or revitalizing churches is not keeping pace with the churches that are growing and the population growth in our city. And so even though we've seen the most exponential growth in terms of church planting in the last two decades, we still have not been able to keep up. And right now our city is underserved with gospel ministry. So we want to be part of that solution. It's not about planting the kingdom of Trinity City Church. We want to be part of this co-op of gospel work that's happening in our city with all the denominations that call in the name of Jesus, parachurch ministries, and places that are serving the vulnerable in our city. We want to partner with them all and see those things multiply and grow 
because right now our city is underserved by those things. Now, I want to conclude with this thought, because I think we are in a unique part, um, part of our history as a church, uh, that, and, and I think we're facing something that we haven't quite seen yet as a church. In the first 10 years of planting this church and establishing this church, because this church is just a little over 10 years old, it was, it was fairly easy to recruit somebody to commit themselves to living in the city and being part of an urban ministry like this one. I think part of it is that many in, uh, maybe especially millennials, have grown up watching things like Seinfeld and Friends, where you just grew up watching these shows with how cool it was to live in the city. And you could have, and especially like with the walkability idea, you had all these like really like hipster places you could go to and the music scene and the art scene is just really, really cool. And so there was this big draw that many in my generation had to go and move to the city. And many of you have been, been drawn to the city maybe because of education or work or whatever, but you're here and there's this massive trend that contributed to exponential growth of our city. But then this last year happened. And you can say a lot of things, but let's just say that our city got a little fussy, all right? This place isn't no longer Hipsterville, but one of the things that happened is that it became more of a difficult place to live. It's a little bit easier to do ministry in this city when you have a cool coffee house next door. It's a little bit more difficult when somebody rips off your catalytic converter, right? And that's the thing that we're dealing with right now. And so there's kind of a, a more of an uneasiness that I'm sensing with not just our church, but any church that has called the city their home, of like, do I want to stay here? Do I want to, want to keep ministering in this place? It's getting kind of difficult. One of the things I've seen, though, is that this is not unique. This isn't the only time our city and its history got fussy. When you live someplace, it's going to get hard. When you have a relationship, it gets hard. But right now, I think what we need and what I'm asking you to pray about is, is God laying on your heart a commitment to dwell here, a commitment to belong here, not a commitment to be here because it's easy, but a commitment to be here because King Jesus is calling you to be here and you want to serve and minister in this city, whether it's going well or whether it's going poorly. And right now, I think we're in a season where it's a little bit harder to convince Christians to belong and to dwell and to stay. But I'm convinced that God is going to supply us with this next generation, this next chapter of Christian leaders and a congregation that we need to minister to this new reality of urban city ministry. And I think I'm excited about it because there's something about it that's a little bit more real a little bit more authentic. It's no longer trendy to be here. It takes a little bit of grit and a little bit of commitment. But why not? Because right now the city needs this gospel ministry more than ever. And I'm asking you, brothers and sisters, to commit and to belong.